Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today we're going to be reacting live to an article in The Economist that talks about goods, services, the consumption change between the two of them during the pandemic, and how that may have caused inflation surges, consumer price surges in America, and also compared to what happened in other countries. Jeff, we are going to be going to an article that was published in a magazine that's folded up very neat. Okay, there we go. It was on the 10th, June 4th through 10th, The Economist. And for those that want to read along, it's Balance of Payments is the article we're going to be reading. And it starts out by going to Amazon. I know in your recent writings, you were talking about Walmart and Target, right? And how they were making pronouncements about inventory. Just tell the audience very quickly, what were Walmart and Target saying about uh, two, three weeks ago? About inventory? They confessed to making a tiny little bit of a forecast error when last year global supply chains clogged up, you know, the United States West Coast ports completely shut, well, not completely shut down, but a complete bottleneck, total disaster, mess of shipping containers, all that stuff. They said, you know what, we're just going to order and order and order just to make sure that we get enough goods because, man, this economy is just booming. It's red hot. Americans just want to spend, spend, spend. We got to make sure we have the goods in our hands. Otherwise, we're going to lose out on opportunity. So it wasn't just uh, Walmart and Target. It was pretty much every retailer in existence smelled the opportunity and went crazy ordering goods, thinking, well, you know, we're over ordering today and tomorrow this economy's red hot. It's no reason to worry about the When the goods show up tomorrow, we'll be fine. Except, you know, now they're starting to think, Will we be fine? Because the goods are showing up and then they're showing up and then they're showing up and they're showing up and they're still showing up as of the data we're seeing now, except now Walmart or Target are saying, "Uh oh, consumers are starting to change their spending habits. Now we're not so certain about demand. Some of the economic indications aren't so good. And we've got this massive glut of inventory that last year we were certain the red hot economy would make it no problem. But now we think there may be trouble ahead. Let's go to Amazon. Asked recently about Amazon's sprawling network of warehouses, Brian Olsofsky, the firm's finance chief, did not mince words. We have too much space right now. As consumer demand surged during the pandemic, the online retailer doubled its capacity from 193 million square feet at the end of 2019 to 387 oh, million. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Two years later. Today, it has a glut, which the company says is costing it tens of millions of dollars a day. Jeff, Amazon, Walmart, Target, billions in revenue, <laughs> and they can't afford a subscription to your, your service, Jeff? Or reach out to they you. They can't reach I mean, out to you and say, hey, so what's going on in the future? That's the thing. It's not just about inventory either. There's other factors involved too, including capacity, the amount of infrastructure, all this kind of stuff. And what, you know, Walmart and Target were actually saying, Target in particular, is that, you know, we expect a profit hit, not just because of consumer demand or inventory, but because we have all these other costs that we're no longer able to pass along to consumers that are going to erode the bottom line. And here's a perfect example. Amazon built its capacity. I mean, those numbers are just staggering, aren't they? Was that a misprint? I mean, it's hard to believe. I was wondering if maybe I didn't understand what they were saying, but I doubt it was. I mean, the economist is good about getting their facts right. 
It says 193 to 387. That's just, but you know, that's the point though. Unless the economy performs as anticipated, suddenly what you thought was the ability to uh, take advantage of this tremendous opportunity becomes a millstone around your neck, costing you, what do they say, tens of millions of dollars for nothing. That is real economic harm on a micro <laughs> scale, but it's not just Amazon. It's not just Target. It's not just Walmart. These things build up in individual circumstances so that when you look at the aggregate, it really starts to get bad. It really starts to go wrong because all these companies are thinking we were expecting one thing, another thing happened. And it wasn't just we missed it by a little. We're we're far from where we should be. We got to start taking drastic steps to correct these imbalances. And drastic steps usually means nothing good for you or me. So this article is going to be about goods consumption, services consumption, what happened during the pandemic, how it might affect inflation then and now, which countries got stimulus checks, which ones didn't, how that difference played out in the pandemic, post-pandemic inventory situation. So continuing, another crucial development for the global economy was this. A shift in spending from goods back to services, reversing a pandemic era trend. That's what they're saying might happen. This switch could, should ease pressure on global supply chains and lower inflation. But it has been slow and uneven. Continuing. Confined to their homes during the worst of the pandemic, consumers in the rich world splurged on appliances, cars, and furniture. The binge was most notable in America where it was fueled by three rounds of quote-unquote stimmy checks, people bought substitutes. By the way, this was the first time they used stimmy in The Economist since Walter Badgett. He used it all the time. People bought substitutes for the services they could no longer enjoy. An exercise bike, say, to make up for closed gyms, maybe. Perhaps as a result of having a little extra cash, they all treated themselves to things like watches and luxury products. We've talked about that, Jeff. A year into the pandemic, the composition of consumer spending had changed dramatically. By the spring of 2021, goods accounted for 42% of household spending in America, up from 36% before the pandemic. Services accounted for 58%, down from 64%, a drop worth more than $900 billion a year. I think that's a point that we keep reinforcing that people, I mean, we need to, this is not something you can understate or reiterate enough, is that the idea of a booming economy was strictly about the goods economy. It wasn't just about goods. It was about this change in distribution where Americans were spending on goods, making it seem like the whole economy was benefiting when in fact they weren't. Americans were spending on goods in lieu of spending on services. So while the goods economy looked like it was red hot and recovering, the service economy looked awful. I mean, utterly atrocious. There isn't much focus on that, though, because of consumer prices and the way the goods, this goods bottleneck had an effect on uh, not just consumer prices in the U.S., but consumer prices around the world. This wasn't about the Fed printing money. It wasn't even about Uncle Sam. It was about the pandemic restrictions creating one time feedbacks that included making the goods economy look like something that the rest of the economy didn't. Let's talk about other countries now. Several other Western countries experienced a similar rise in goods consumption, though few witnessed a bigger boost in America. Dan Struyevin and Dan Milo of Goldman Sachs, a bank, 
Jeff, did you ever notice that in The Economist, they always add a bank or a consultancy after something that it seems so obvious, which I delight in because they know that their magazine is going to be read by people a hundred years from now. I think more of us could do better by writing with that in mind. All right. Just something to keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, Goldman Sachs compared the evolution of goods spending in real terms across 23 OECD countries, which they like to say a group of mostly wealthy countries, a club of mostly wealthy countries. America outperformed all but two. The latest data from the OECD suggests that the Nordic countries also splurged. On average, though, they spent about 5% more on goods in 2021 than pre-pandemic trends would have suggested compared with America's 10%. Remember how there was this, the, the results in America were different than the rest of the world. Why? Because American good consumption was double the increase that we saw in other OECD countries. I will continue. A deluge of new orders overwhelmed global supply chains, which were already strained by pandemic-related disruptions, leading to clogged ports and shipping delays. With demand outstripping supply, oh, goods prices rose. America's <laughs> Bureau of Labor word. Statistic reckons... Not inflation. What does that mean, Jeff? What do you, of course that's inflation. What do you mean that's not inflation? It's a supply shock, which is different from an excessive printing of currency, which is the only definition of inflation. That's the only way it gets to sustain consumer price acceleration is when you have an oversupply of money or currency. But that's not what happened in 2021 and 20, 2020 and 2021. As they're pointing out, we had a rightward shift in the demand curve at the same time supply had been, and not just supply in terms of production, but also in terms of moving goods around. You had gross inelasticity, which meant the supply side was very slow, very cumbersome, very rigid when reacting to that rightward shift in demand. And the only way simple, small economics teaches us that that imbalance gets resolved is through prices. It's not an oversupply of currency. It's an imbalance of demand versus supply. And that's very different. I know people have been savaging us all along saying we don't understand inflation. We're not saying that consumer prices didn't increase. What we're saying is they didn't increase because it was inflation. And people think that we're splitting hairs and being technical. We're really not. It's, it's a categorical difference. With demand outstripping supply, goods prices rose. America's Bureau of Labor Statistics reckons that goods prices boosted consumer price inflation by 4.9 percentage points in the year April 2022. Now spending is starting to shift in the other direction. Data published on May 27th showed that spending on goods fell in the year to April and is now 9% above its pre-pandemic trend, down from a high of 16% last year. Spending on services is up by 7% in the same period and is just 3% below pre-pandemic trends. Final thoughts. Ah, but that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of conflating the issue and clouding the issue here because the idea here, and it sounds like a plausible idea, is that All right. as Americans and people around the rest of the world spend less on goods, as they go back to their pre-pandemic lives, this balance between goods and services will simply go back to normal. And so what we're seeing in the goods economy isn't recession. It is just normality. It's normalcy. It's that we're spending less on goods, but more on services. But that is not the case. We never spent the, yes, people are spending more on services over the last year in 2021 as the service economy started to come back a little bit, but it never came all the way back. 
And there is every bit of data, including these GDP numbers that says service spending is slowing too. And it may actually be slowing more than it is in goods. So it's not like goods are falling and services are coming back up and we're going to rebalance to a pre-COVID paradigm. It's more likely that consumer spending on goods is going down as consumer spending on services slows down and goes down because overall consumers have been grossly harmed by these consumer price supply shock effects, demand destruction. It's broad demand destruction. It's not just focused on goods, not just focused on services. It's the entire economy, which is why we see all these financial market indications suggesting illiquidity, uncertainty, and volatility, and everything else, because the markets are saying this is not going, this is not the end of the pandemic shifting back to pre-pandemic conditions. This is a recession. This is a something more severe than that. This is everybody thinking the CPI represented a red hot economy when the economy never recovered. While we have an economy that never recovered in a weakened state, and again, I'm not just talking about the US, a weak economy that never recovered, that is suffering all of these massive negative pressures and imbalances, it leads to a toxic mix or a toxic brew of not good stuff going forward. Well, Jeff, that's how they end the, the article saying that there is questions as to whether we will return to pre-pandemic norms. Maybe we shouldn't expect that. And that while there has been a boom in the last couple of years, an extraordinary one, the future is much less certain. So they're saying there, there's a lot of volatility in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think our the prior point we made in another episode, and we're not just picking on the economist here. And I think, Emil, you chose these two articles in these last episodes because they're good. The economist is starting to, pardon, pardon my friends, get its head out of its ass and starting to look at the real economic situation, the real social and political situation and saying, at least being free enough to admit there's something big wrong here. And the point that we made in that episode about The Economist is that this is not just 2021 and 2022. There is a repeating long-term pattern here. The lack of recovery in the last couple of years looks exactly or very much like the lack of recovery in the period immediately following the Great, great Recession that, as we said, was never a recession. It was a permanent change or a permanent shock. And so because the underlying structural problems remain, since you know all these 15 years, why would we expect the economy to have recovered from the 2020 recession when it couldn't recover from any of the other recessions that they experienced around the world over the last 15? Nothing underlying has actually changed. If anything, the 2020 pandemic introduced a whole host of new damage that the economy is going to have to face. And you know, as I said before, we've said this many times. Do we really think we were going to get out of the 2020 recession without unscathed, without experiencing a tremendous amount of structural long run damage? That was never going to be the case. And so the lack of recovery this year, clouded by the CPIs, clouded by people mistaking uh, what was going on consumer prices for a red hot economy, we missed the idea that we're in worse shape now than we were a couple of years ago, which was already in worse shape than we were 10 years before that. We keep ratcheting down and down and down. The next step is to figure out why. And the inventory glut could not have come at a worse time. Mm -hmm.